It's your weekly rundown 37. Let's go. This is your weekly rundown 37. Welcome back, weebs and non-weebs alike. Uh, it's your boy Tyler with Dan here. Bass is still out. Howdy. So, yeah. <laughs> so we're a bit chilling, you know, getting ready. But we also uh, got some news for y'all. Um, we, you know, recently done our weekly, weekly rundown battle royale thing. I don't really know what to call it, but Undead Unluck won and Freer in one. So they will be added to our weekly rundown fall edition with JJK season two and Veroni Kenshin remake and One Piece as always. Awesome, dude. Yeah, so if you guys haven't watched Undead Unluck uh, episode one yet or the first five, I'm so sorry you have to watch five episodes to get caught up of <laughs> Free Run. Definitely go do that before you listen to those segments of today's podcast. Yeah. Um, so with that being said, you know, we're going to be covering Undead Unluck 2, number two, Veroni Kenshin, episode 15, Kruren, episode six, Jujutsu Kaisen, episode 12, and One Piece 1079. And I guess uh, we can just go ahead and get it started. Get Let's right do it. into it. Let's do it. So did you research if Undead Luck is uh, one cow or two consecutive? Uh, I didn't. So it should be two, probably. Honestly, um, I mean, it would make sense if it was two, probably consecutive cower. Um, but I'm not sure off the top of my head. I swear I've seen something about it, but I know Thririn is uh 28 total episodes. It's a consecutive two cower, um, or two core. How do you say it? Core or cower? I think it's cower. Yeah. Core? It's core. It's definitely core. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's all the same. So, well, I'm just saying um, you're trying to think if we're like gonna be rolling with these shows for the long haul, and then next season, you know, we're gonna be looking to replace Roni Kenshin and Jujutsu Kaisen. So, like, I'm just trying to get an idea of where we're going. You know? Yeah. If we do do this, you know, long haul, um, we'll probably have Freerun, Undead, Unluck, and One Piece going into our winter. Uh, rundown so maybe we'll have we'll probably have to find at least one more show but uh isn't isn't uh what's it solo leveling coming out i think so i'm not worried about figuring out what we're gonna watch yet i just want to know if we're gonna be sticking with you know all these shows for the long haul you know oh four or five yeah not even that it just it kind of like Every season, we've done like a massive shift in shows. You know, this is the first time, besides One Piece, of course, that we've had like a couple consecutive uh, cowers or cores, whatever you want to call it. And uh, oh. I was just curious if we're going to be sick, sticking with some of these for the long haul, you know? I mean, I guess it just depends on how we're locking it, I guess, after the first half, probably. I mean, I don't see, I don't see us hating either one of the new shows. 
I don't think, unless it just goes extremely bad. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. No, it's more just like, you know, because we went from like the original rundown back in the yeah. sp- spring, I guess. The spring the first time we did. No, we only did yeah. three shows in the spring, right? Yeah, it was only three. It was what? Buddy Daddy's, My Hero, and uh, One Piece, right? That's true. And then we went to summer. And summer's when we changed everything. And we carried over two, three shows. From summer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, gotcha. One Piece gotcha. is always carried over. Unless, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. We're One Piece. We're big One Piece boys, so. Yeah, we're not getting rid of One Piece, sorry. <laughs> but, yeah. Not, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's get right into it, then. I'll do a little research on my end. I'm not sure. I tried to Google it quick, and I literally couldn't find anything besides, like, when's the manga gonna end, so. But we're gonna start right off with Undead Unlock Episode 2. The episode is called Union. Andy makes a move on Fuko. We have some uninvited guests from the mysterious organization, the Union, show up. How will Andy and Fuko get out of this one? So this <laughs> this episode starts off pretty hot and heated. Like you watch through like some re- not really recap stuff, but just kind of going over the basis of like Fuko's childhood and the story so far. And all of a sudden, the scene just cuts to Andy, like, pinning Fuko against a wall, <laughs> saying, all right, l- let's have beep, because for some reason they beep out sex. I don't know. It's, it's got to be Japanese censorship laws. But he it thinks that because the kiss caused a meteorite to fall, getting down and dirty with it is going to cause a massive, massive, massive case of unlock, enough to potentially kill him. And like the fact that episode two started off so heated just had me crying. I was like, what the fuck am I watching right now? <laughs> yeah, it definitely picked up uh, right where it left off last time. I still don't, like I said, I still don't understand why they're bleeping out uh, sex, even though they're mature. I guess it is a Japanese thing, maybe. I'm not sure. Maybe it's because they're on live TV, but still, you'd think that like being on Hulu and stuff, it would have that capability to not center it out maybe yeah i mean you watch family guy or something who they say sex all the time that's not a big deal so i think it's gonna be something in japan yeah but after this scene fuko starts to panic and she doesn't want to lose her v card in this way at all like she's not down and she comes up with a brilliant idea to tell andy that the key to her unlock is likability it's not just how aggressive the physical touch is so if Andy forces himself on her, she'll end up hating his guts. And like the unluck won't do anything besides like sprain his ankle like it did to the old man she hated and kissed as a kid. But, you, you know, that uh, that little explanation, it didn't make sense because she said, uh, did she not say that was her grandpa? I just thought she said it was an old man. I don't think she said it was her grandpa. I could have swore she said it was her grandpa Paul, and that he had like a set of false teeth or whatever that she really hated. And I, I, I even rewatched it a couple of times. I was like, wait, this isn't, is it because she didn't love him as much as she loved her parents? Is that where she's going? I think that's where she was going. If it was her grandpa. Yeah. But I mean, still like, her love for her grandpa should still be pretty high, right? Unless she was just scared of his teeth. I mean, I'm not gonna 
assume anyone loves their grandparents. You know, he could have been a dick. I don't know. But he seemed like a nice old man. Eh. <laughs> Regardless, she didn't like him. I guess. I, I was very confused. They, they could have used a different, um, uh, a different, you know, uh, explanation, I guess. But no, even I, at that point, like, why is her unluck so fierce against, like, some of the agents that we seen in the last episode, you know, if she yeah. don't like them? I think she was really just grasping for straws here to try and not go to pound town, you know? Oh, yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, okay. I never so, thought about it like that. Maybe she's just bullshitting right now. I think she's doing a little bullshitting. But okay. this causes Andy to come up with a new plan. So he's not going to let her die until she falls in love with him. So after that, they travel to Andy's armory. And I guess he has these all around the world. And this scene is really funny. It shows Fuko in like steel, steel plate armor, like a gas mask, like everything. So she's bulletproof, stab proof, chemical proof. She is basically <laughs> like a child in a glass box. Like you can't touch him. I don't know how she can walk around, bro. She's got to be so heavy. Dude, so top heavy. It's like when you're playing Skyrim and you're uh, encumbered and you're just like walking slowly through a dungeon because you don't want to drop your shit. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so after that, you know, Fuko's good to go. She's good to not die. And Andy tells Fuko that the group that's after them will be back today and pretty much every damn day until they're caught. Andy explains that he was caught like 50 years ago and they experimented him on a bunch and it was like 10 years before he finally escaped and he just starts rattling off all the terrible things they're going to do to her if they catch her they're like they're going to you so many people are going to die figuring out what your own your own luck is like they're going to cut your fingers off to see if your fingers will still activate it when they're not attached to you and she's just freaking out and I thought it was a really funny scene it's uh I mean, it's crazy that, um, you know, there's people out there like that that wants to actually do that. And we actually don't know how long he's been alive, which is wild, too. We're we're starting to get like freer in territory, I feel like. Yeah, I'm thinking he's got to be at least like 150, 200 years old, man. I mean, he says that he unlocks 100 years of his memory when he pulls out that little blade out of his head and he it, that thing he it wasn't put in there when he was zero you know like makes me makes you curious maybe one day i, I know it, they kind of talked about it and uh she asked him how old she was i think in this scene and he just like diverted the question and uh it just makes me wonder if we'll ever know so i think we'll get it eventually but like if you're trying to get a girl to uh get down with you you don't tell her you're 200 years old that's a big turnoff <laughs> you know especially for an 18 year old true 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 uh but after that scene they hop on andy's motorcycle and andy is standing on this thing driving w- with his feet with a katana over his shoulder and fuku's just sitting in a sidecar and i'm like this shit is so out of pocket dude <laughs> Yeah, uh, it, it's definitely, uh, they're definitely weird. This, this kind of has the, like, ZOM 100 feels, honestly, where it's just so free, I guess. Free is the best word to describe it. Ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Like, it yeah. is just, it's just out there. Like, 
it doesn't need to make sense. It's just fun, you know? <laughs> but so the we after the scene with the motorcycle, we hop into the intro. And this is the first time we've seen it. We didn't see it episode one. So what do you think of the intro? Yeah, well, the song, you know, we obviously got at the end of the uh, the last episode, but the the actual visuals and stuff that went with it, uh, it, it was actually really good. It was uh, it was a fun watch. They done the animation styles really fun. Like like I said, it kind of reminded me of like Zom 100 colors. Honestly, it had like a, a lot of colorful like uh, colorful animations and unique animations. So it was really fun. Plus the music, man. That song is just like really good. So yeah, I mean the song is just titled "One" by the artist Queen B, and I thought the intro was really cool. Like the fact that it just it was very simple, and like you just had the characters with like crazy crazy kaleidoscope images behind them, and it kind of brought me back. Like I feel like anime intros have just gotten way more generic lately, where they just show like fight scenes and stuff. So I thought it was cool to have something a little different. Yeah, five five scenes of spoilers, honestly, and I wish that more anime would go to like the like the just the unique OPs with the good songs. I like One Piece, you know, the newest One Piece OP. Like they done the anime, the visuals, you know, very good in that. You know, they didn't really focus on a lot of fighting and stuff. They just focused on the song and like the you know the uh, O. You know, the big O, which was really cool. So, yeah, there were definitely still some spoilers in that, though. Yeah, I mean, they, definitely. They, but... they showed big boy Momo well before we saw him in the anime. Yeah, definitely some <laughs> definitely some spoilers in it still, but at least it's not as bad. There were spoilers in this, too, if you didn't see. Um, I did. Yeah. The ending so, had a lot of spoilers, too, and we'll get into that later. But Yeah. <laughs> guess, guess we don't have to know about some things, so. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. We won't spoil it, but we'll get into it a little bit when we talk about the song and stuff. But so we get out of the intro, intro and all of a sudden we see the sky shatter behind them like glass. And Andy talks about that. That's how this group warps. So these guys are just breaking realities to come wherever they want. It doesn't even matter. So they're already broken. And we see two members of this group pop out. And I was very excited because one of them was a giant robot. <laughs> I didn't even look at it like that. I just seen him in like a big suit of armor. It felt like, or like Mechamaru, I guess, kind of. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of the not Genos, but who's the other cyborg guy from? Uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about from uh, One Punch Man. He reminded me of that. But, yeah, he's the he's the one that always like makes clones or whatever, and never goes to the fights himself or whatever. Yeah, it's kind of like so, Mikamaru, dude. Yeah. <laughs> but so this group comes up, and all of a sudden, one of them starts boxing with Andy, and the other like traps Fuko using some weird ability, and like her ass is like just straight up glued <laughs> to his junk. <laughs> and I was kind of like, "Yo, are you touching Andy's girl like that, dude? What you doing?" <laughs> I, I thought that scene was questionable. I was like, they definitely did that on purpose. They're trying. They did that on purpose, bro. Oh, definitely. Dude. <laughs> but Andy starts boxing with this giant mech armor suit guy. 
and all of a sudden he like goes to attack and just freezes midair and just gets smoked like absolutely bodied and he's sitting there trying to figure out what their abilities are and fuko thinks it's her captor and andy just with all of his experience fighting the negators and things like that it's like no their abilities are similar but they're really not you know they have a different range different abilities things like that and he realizes that during his fight, he can actually hit this giant mech guy after he's been attacked. So if this opponent throws a punch, it negates the negator ability, if that makes any sense. Yeah, well, I think um, after, so they got into it a little bit. So after his, his negate ability on whatever it was, uh... It only worked when he was in an attack stance. So I assume after an attack had been thrown, therefore he is out of the attack stance. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. You know, yeah. just funny. That's how it worked. Yeah, it's the these these uh these abilities are definitely like wild. They're um, fun. They're yeah. really fun, and they're going to be so random too because it's kind of like nen where you can kind of like your ability is just very bizarre you know like i never thought you'd see a opponent where all of a sudden you go to throw a punch and if they're not they haven't already hit you like you just freeze up that's a crazy broken ability and it's also going to be fun to see how so every ability apparently has to have the un in front of it kind of is the way it goes so it's going to be fun to see what kind of abilities we're actually going to see that un does something so oh yeah yeah basically they negate a rule of the the world we live in yeah so, so that's pretty crazy so after this fuko asks shen like oh sorry I, well his name's shen they haven't introduced it yet but his name is shen that's her captor with the blue hair if they'll be chased forever and he tells her that due to the, the whole meteorite episode she really jumped up on the list of umas which are what they are they're unidentified monster phenomenon monster things whatever it translates to but due to that she's jumped up to a level eight and fuko asks why these two negators aren't being chased by this organization so this is where we get introduced to the union the anti-unidentified phenomena control organization i don't know how that acronym becomes union but i'm gonna roll with it uh, I'm down, bro. <laughs> it should be it should be opco if you know we're going by normal normal organization rules, but we're gonna let it slide. Yeah. <laughs> so it turns out there are ten special negators that make up the elite ranks, and once you get this position, you are no longer chased by the union as long as you commit to complete missions for them. There's also gonna be a few tests to, to join the organization, but that gets Fuko thinking. He's like, oh, we could just join your organization. You know, that'd be perfect. We don't get chased anymore. And then the robot, whose name is Void, just shows about it nowhere. He's like, tough shit, little girl. We already got 10 members. <laughs> and you just see Andy, like, save her from this attack and go, I like this idea. Let's join. That way we can become the hunters, not the hunted. We just got to take two of these bozos out or we can steal their seats. <laughs> True. He's, he's on to something, bro. He's got a plan. He's got hey, a man. point. So it's it's a plan. It's gonna probably work. So Fuko touches Andy to create some un unluck, and the two negators from the union realize this. Shen and Void, 
and they're talking. Shen's just standing there, like all goofy, like and Void's like, "You got to get out of here, bro! Like you really got to get out of here." And you just see across the screen the entire time you see Andy slowly backing up towards them, and then all <laughs> of a sudden, like a truck careens off a bridge and just smokes the three of them. And I love with- that scene. <laughs> I did too, and you know it's funny. I still didn't see many people, but obviously there's people because there's trucks. So, yeah, I think they're like we talked about it during the bullshit episode uh, last week, and I think they're doing a really good job focusing on the main cast and not putting distractions out there. I think that's what they're trying to do. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm down for it. I'm just uh, curious to where all the people actually is. And if there was people actually driving that truck or if it just appeared out of nowhere. No, there know. there was somebody driving that truck. Somebody died. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> but, so Andy takes his truck head on and he's pretty, pretty beat up. And the two union num- members make it out of there. Void's got Shen on his back. And so Andy flies away into this building seeing, saying he needs time to figure out their abilities. And he's sitting there going through it and he's like, well, they're external negator types like they have effects on other people, this and that. And he sits down and you just hear a time clicking like a click, click, click. <laughs> and you look over and there's just a j- dynamite all over this place. And the funny thing is, this is not even because of her ability. This is just a total coincidence. They flew into a building that is about to be just destroyed collapsing on itself like they're just making room for a new building or something like that and this building falls on andy void and shen i did not see that coming at all no i was kind of i was a little confused at first and then i was like there's no way that's still fuko's ability that's that's got to be something else going on there it seems too uh too much you know what i mean yeah, and her ability is pretty set in stone from what we can tell. Like, if she touches you, a bad thing happens. But if she touches you, two bad things aren't going to happen. Yeah. So this was all just dumb luck. <laughs> so Void survives and states that unless you can predict the unlock Fuko's ability, it's not a weapon. It's just a disaster. And Void finds Andy's arm just hanging out of some rubble. And he goes up and grabs it, thinking that he's finally caught Andy and they can take him back to the facility. And it turns out that Andy's arm is just like a dismembered limb just hanging out in some rubble. And Andy walks up behind him talking, talking some shit. And then just pulls out the old the old finger pistol. But with Andy's ability, it's not a finger pistol. It's like a bang bang. It's like he literally bit his finger off and used propulsion of blood to absolutely just make this thing fly into Void's headpiece. He had like one weak spot on his head where his eyes, his camera was where his eyes could see from. And shoots him right through the dome. And Void just goes down. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what what all the capabilities that he he has, honestly. Like the finger pistols, that's that's kind of that's pretty neat. That's like um very, you know, uh very unique, so his yeah. way of doing it, at least. Yeah, dude, he called it a parts bullet. <laughs> so it's basically the same thing as him shooting his legs off to fly through the air, but he did it with a little finger blicky. Imagine, so imagine if he can like do that with his arm and fist. So like point his fist <laughs> or something, you know? So 
And so it'd be like Frankie in one piece with this giant right right hook or whatever he calls it. Strong right. Yeah, strong right. Uh, I can't wait to see it. It's going to happen. It's it's definitely going to happen. So Void is dead and Shen realizes that Voido, as you like to say, with the with the terrible Japanese translation of Void has been defeated and he gets ready to fight Andy. Andy says, you know, they oh, we need another open seat on the for for me. So they begin to spar and all of Andy's attacks are being blocked, which is kind of crazy. And Andy realizes that Shen's power is all about opposites. So they're going at it and Fuku comes running into the scene with a katana that Andy had at the beginning and throws it to Andy and he doesn't catch it. He just lets it stab him through the shoulder. So his body is now a hilt for his sword. So that's badass. Well, it was a hill for a sword, like, the whole episode. I know, I dude. It's just <laughs> stupid. <laughs> I love it, honestly. And Andy comes in, like, let's see how you parry an attack you can't block. Because Shen had been blocking every single punch, kick, whatever that Andy had thrown at him. And Shen realizes, Andy goes to attack him, and Shen realizes that he froze for a split second. And he's like, oh, you must just not like killing people. And, you know, starts to walk away from the fight. I think he's going to let him go. And he basically says there's one seat open. And Andy's like, oh, let Fuko have it. You know, I'll go back to your lab. You can terrorize me. And Fuko's like, no, you've already been this through this before. We can't do that. And he's like, oh, it's fine. I'll, I'll figure out a way to slip out of there. You know, even if you're an old hag, I am going to show you the night of your life. <laughs> so he's still all about getting getting down and dirty with our girl Fuko here. Yeah, but earning it, earning it. Keyword. He did earn it right there, man. He earned it totally. <laughs> <laughs> and after this, Fuko tells Shen to turn around because she's gonna give Andy some loving, some totally mm. X-rated shit. <laughs> Ow, you go wow wow. So because her body of her body, she's never experienced any romance. And this might be her only opportunity. And she just full on just takes her shirt off. She's like, let's get down right here, right now. We're in the rubble of this skyscraper that just fell down. And it might give you the unluck you need to die. And she apologizes that she can't do more. And this seed just caught me so off guard. I was not ready for that. I thought she was going to like kiss him or something or, you know, I don't know, something something like that, you know? Dude, she was like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it good. <laughs> then she took off her shirt. I was like, wait, is she going to, like, flash him or let him, like, you know, I don't know. I didn't know where it was going. Then she was like, totally x-rated stuff. It's my first time, you know, uh, take it easy on me, stuff like that. I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> the R&B music should have been playing in the background, dude. Oh, would have really set the vibe. <laughs> definitely. But after this, Shen just bursts out laughing and realizes that splitting these two up wouldn't be right. Shen gives them the information on another member of the union and says, if you can kill them, you'll be golden to join. And they'll be at Lake Baibal, wherever that is, and to look for a red necktie and emblem. Shen leaves through a portal and says, hey, we'll see you at the round table. And Andy comes up with this crazy plan. So Andy just keeps getting more ridiculous every time we hear him talk. He's got bunkers all around the world. He's got a fucking yacht. 
He's like, yeah, we'll drive at full speed up to Nagata. We'll take my yacht to a Russian port. We'll hop on a jet to this Russian cap or Russian province, Irist, where the target will be. And he's going to call up some of his old military buddies to join the fight. And then you just hear Andy go, Russia, vodka. <laughs> and he's just hyped to go get plastered. Like, I love this character. He might be one of my favorite anime characters in a long time. Uh, he's definitely fun. <laughs> and he ends the episode basically saying they'll celebrate a drink with a drink of some vodka because she's of age there and then we get to the ending i thought the ending was kind of a banger too what do you think yeah i I really enjoyed it too it was a like a slower pace though but um it definitely had um some spoilers yeah um i almost wonder i mean we all know that's andy in there but i wonder who the the lady is you know i mean i have yeah she's like a mysterious woman who looks like she just left a funeral and like andy's dressed in a white suit she's dressed in black it really i I, want to see where it goes so you thought it was a funeral huh she looks like she was at a funeral dude why would you wear a black veil like that otherwise right i thought maybe a wedding maybe brides wear white unless it's different in japan i know in japan you wear a white the funerals but the black really threw me off yeah i don't know uh it's definitely weird we definitely know as andy he looked kind of older i thought he looked younger really okay the animation was different the animation yeah. was very different it kind of reminded me of the scene from the manga at the very beginning okay yeah i got you but um yeah we got to see andy and fuko in uh different clothes too um won't really say what they was because <laughs> uh, that is a spoiler too <laughs> <laughs> it was a spoiler for me it was a spoiler for everybody but yeah. you know that's an anime right there that's what they do i guess uh, i guess we know the results uh coming up soon so we know what's yeah. gonna happen already so yeah and they had a little preview scene at the end too and i just remember seeing a jet plane chasing it on a yacht so next episode is gonna be fucking action-packed as well yeah we get to see like a uh, another girl too so it's sad so yeah i'm sure she's the negator they're hunting down but awesome. Do you want to get us into Free Run? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so we're going to go to Free Run episode six called The Hero of the Village. And basically, the summary of this is uh, before Furin and Fern can continue their journey, they must defeat a strong foe with the newest member of their party. Um, but, you know, basically to start it off is we actually learn... We actually learned doggy difficulties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we actually learned that uh, because of Fern, we learned that Fishers we saw in the last episode was actually the results of Stark's training. Did you expect that? Yeah, I did. I thought at the end of the last episode they showed him walking up to that giant um, crevice in the side of a mountain. And he's got a pretty big battle axe, and they're not going to introduce a weak character. So I kind of saw that one coming. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, but he, it turns out he doesn't want to fight the dragon still, but says if the, he, if the dragons attack the village somehow, then he'll have to fight it because, you know, obviously he's their hero, hero. So definitely. And they also went into how Stark got his scar. So Stark is the redheaded character we saw in episode four. 
Um, make sure, like I said, you guys catch up. There's a lot of information in these first five episodes. So Stark uh, goes into it that he actually got his scar on his head from his master Aizen, not from fighting a monster. And, you know, it kind of made you think, like, why did he lie about that? Is there a reason? Did he just want to seem tough? Or, like, did he not want to seem like he got kind of, like, beat up by his master for, like, a misunderstanding or something, you know? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why he lied about it. Maybe, maybe he didn't want to, I guess, put Aizen down, maybe? You know, I... You know what I'm trying to say. Like he doesn't want to make Eisen talk bad about Eisen, you know, his master to uh to Freeran. Because obviously yeah. Freeran, you know, you would assume that she likes Eisen and They're she, fucking boys. Yeah, so well, that's her boy. But yeah. It, it's a weird choice, but you know he he's a kid, you know, so Yeah, and he also went into how Eisen never praised him as an apprentice. And I thought that was interesting just because like after getting to know Aizen through like the first four or five episodes, he's not going to say a nice thing about anybody. That's just how he is. You know, So like I can definitely see that. Yeah, I mean, he's a man of uh, few words, so he's a man of action is what he is. <laughs> he gets shit done. Dwarf, so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, Fern basically says uh, she's basically just telling him, you know, um, telling uh stark how her first encounter went with like a monster and that you know Furin wouldn't help at all and uh it was basically all up to her and she just run and run and run until she finally just i guess got tired and worked up the you know courage to turn around and fight it and then she done she just you know she was no match for it so uh she she's basically saying that he could be the same way you know it's just he's just got to get through the first one in order to be able to do it so yeah definitely i liked how they brought resolve up i mean this show it's not necessarily focused on like fighting and all that kind of stuff it's really focused on character development and i liked how they brought up resolve because i think with a little resolve i mean stark is plowing through a mountain with a battle axe right now like the dude is yoked <laughs> I think with a little resolve, if he can get over his fear a little bit, he will be a force to be reckoned with. Hundred percent. I mean, he's a. I mean, he got trained by Eisen. You know, look at. I mean, I really didn't see Eisen doing that kind of shit. So, uh, but when when did they talk about? Uh, you know, did they already talk about uh, what Eisen told Furin or no? Or is that later? I think it's a little later. The flashback. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a little later in the episode. Got you. Yeah, we'll talk about it then. Uh, but yeah, basically, um, you know, next day comes and Fear and Fern show up and you know, what do you know? Stark isn't there. He didn't he he didn't show up. And, you know, they was like, Okay, you know, I get it. We we kinda expected that. And they was like, Well, I guess it's time to, you know, do it our way, play tag with it. Uh, fight it, all that good stuff, and then here, here comes Stark, and then he, he's like, you know, I'll do it on one condition. You have to promise me, and they're like, okay, and they're like, promise to kill the dragon if anything happens to him during the battle. Like if he dies, promise they'll kill it. That way, obviously, it doesn't, you know, go crazy on the village. So, 
Definitely. And during the scene before he goes down and fights the dragon, we can see him trembling a little bit like he's scared. And we see Fern come in and she's like, oh, you're just like Aizen. Aizen used to tremble like that, too. And that kind of really surprised Stark because Aizen is, you know, he's a battle hardened warrior at this point. And I thought that was really cool to highlight, you know? It definitely is. And I think it kind of eased his nerves a little bit, too. It was definitely helpful because he's like, you know, maybe I'm not just a coward. You know, maybe maybe all great people have this, too. So, yeah, I mean, it's been said a million times. Fear is what drives you to push to like your to push you past your limits to protect people. So you need fear in your life to be able to understand how dangerous the situation actually is, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, we're not really going to get too much into the fight with the dragon because it's, you know, a fight scene. Y'all should definitely go watch it. But what did you think about, like, the animation and stuff of the dragon fight? There was one scene that just stood out to me as terribly animated. And it, like, really took away from the whole fight for me. It, like, showed the dragon with, like, a rock at the bottom, like, part of the, like, the landscape at the bottom. And it looked like something out of like a kid's coloring book, and it really caught me off guard. Okay, i i didn't I didn't really notice anything like that. Um, which I was just like so amazed with uh, how good it was overall. Every, you know, everything else was awesome, but there was just this one scene, and I thought I was like, "Was this like a? Did they have like an intern animate this one panel? Like, what's going on here, dude? This show's been beautiful so far." Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and watch that and see what you're talking about because sorry, I'll, I'll try and find it and take a screenshot or something for you. But it really stood out. Well, actually, I can't take a screenshot on Crunchyroll, but I can like take a picture of it and send it to you because it really, really threw me off because everything else had been so beautiful in that fight scene. And then all of a sudden there's just one scene. I was like, what yeah, I didn't. Fuck? I would love to see that because like I said, I didn't really notice anything because you know, I went in this, you know, obviously we've seen um, like the uh, Great Sage or whatever. She fought the Great Sage and that was like not much, but it still looked good. You know, this was their like first uh, actual like fight fight. And, you know, I didn't expect it to be that good, honestly. Um, it, it didn't look like they used CGI at all. It kind of looked like it was pretty well hand drawn, right? When you say, yeah, I thought it was awesome, except this one scene just really stood out to me. I don't know why. Like, I just thought I was like, what? This has yeah. been awesome. And then it was just this one scene. I was like, are they trying to like, em I don't know, emphasize something here with like size or this or that? But it just saw me. It's really threw me off. I yeah, might be I'll crazy too. I don't know. Yeah. Um. But you know, basically, just go watch this. Uh, go watch Furin because it's actually really good, even though it is six episodes out now. Uh, definitely worth watching, I think. So, um, but now we get into like the flashback that we was talking about earlier of why Stark actually left Aizen, and uh, you know, and he actually left because Aizen hit him. That was the main reason he left. And we get into like why Aizen hit him, and he was telling Freeran in a flashback that he hit him out of reflex because he was scared of him, and he didn't mean to hit him. So that's telling you something. Uh, this is this is actually before you know we fought the dragon. You know this is like right before. So, um, but that's actually crazy knowing that Aizen 
the great dwarf of the hero party, the frontliner, is actually scared of his own apprentice. Yeah, it means Stark is going to be a badass, and I'm very excited to see him continue on his on this journey, you know? Yeah. And so the flashback ends, and basically, um, Stark just going ham over here. This is what we was talking about. Stark was going ham. He lasts 30 seconds, and then uh, the dragon's just down there. Like He looks like he's pinned to the ground or whatever, and he's yelling at Freer, and he's like, shoot it, you know, do your thing, you know? And uh, Freer and them just stand there, and she's like, no, Fern, you know, it's okay. Don't do anything. And Stark is just so confused. <laughs> so confused. <laughs> yeah, and Tyler didn't explain how badass this final attack was. Like, I'm talking, we're talking like 100 foot in the air, full-blown tomahawk, shake the world <laughs> around you, final blow. Like, it was badass. <laughs> it was. But yeah, yeah. Um, uh, apparently, you know, with the final attack, you know, we all thought he was kind of like, uh, impelled, I guess, you know, or like pinned down to the ground waiting for Freeran. But apparently the dragon's dead. D-E-D. Dead. <laughs> so yeah. this man done killed him, so. Yeah, and Stark didn't even realize. That's why he was like, shoot the dragon, shoot the dragon. And we just start seeing the dragon slowly like fade away almost it was kind of weird i i don't know if i like that scene because like that reminded me of something you'd see out of like a video game you yeah, like shangri la yeah like you would see it in shangri la which is not in the rundown but you should definitely watch it because the last episode was nuts it was and it just kind of threw me off i'm like dragons like you defeat a dragon i mean actually in skyrim they do fade away like that so maybe that's a dragon thing and we're, we just don't know i don't know yeah i mean if you if you think about it, like I guess the sage kind of faded away too, right? Or the mage or whatever. Yeah, but that was like an eighty year old, hundred and eighty year old decrepit body. Like that kind of makes sense. This is like a full blown fucking dragon, baby. Yeah, it is weird. Um, I don't know. I maybe maybe they'll explain uh explain why they kind of do it. Maybe it's like the drop system, you know. Or something. I don't know. I don't know how it is. But, like, it's a fantasy world like Lord of the Rings. That doesn't happen, you know? That's why I'm just confused. But, like, after I said it, I was like, oh, my God, this is just like the dragons in Skyrim. <laughs> like, that ass, that's what happens. They Like, their bodies burn them up and fade away. So maybe that's a dragon thing. We just, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I guess, like I said, we'll get into it more maybe in the future Um, every on Friday. But uh, speaking of, like, um start killing a dragon without even knowing it. Do you think that Freeran like actually planned for Stark to defeat the dragon by himself? Do you think she went into that fight knowing that she wasn't going to have to help? Yeah, I do because she wasn't, she said she needed 30 seconds to charge up this super mega ultimate badass spell. And she, she was doing, doing nothing. Shit. She wasn't doing <laughs> shit. So yeah, I think she knew he had it in him. We we just had like some panels of just Freeran just standing there, and I'm like, wait, isn't she supposed to be like powering up or something? That was my yeah. thoughts. So. Yeah, she should be going fucking Super Saiyan over there to use some <laughs> crazy spell. <laughs> and then I was like, uh, okay, you know, even at the like I said, even 
when he was hollering at her to do it. I still thought the dragon was alive. Like I thought maybe he just pinned him down or something, you know, because he's strong as hell. So <laughs> I just I thought that scene was actually really funny. Like in my opinion, I thought it was really I was laughing a little bit. I was like, Free Ren, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I loved it. And then uh, you know, what happens next? You know, they get the spoils, the spoils of war. Fern runs over to like the dragon's nest, very happy. And Fern's just like, no, you can't take it all. You're only allowed three items. <laughs> Fuck that, dude. I got plenty of room in that briefcase. I was cracking up, though, when she's running. She's like, yay, treasure. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. She might be a thousand-year-old elf, but she is a freaking child. <laughs> she definitely is. She's, she probably is actually a child in elf terms, honestly. So. I don't know. Yeah, probably. I mean, she looks like she's like 15. You know, she doesn't look like she's any older than Fern. Well, I mean, you know, Lord of the Rings taught us that, you know, they're very, you know, young looking. So, yeah, dude, you hook up with an elf. You're set. She's going to look good for a long time. So after that, they go and Fern uses the spell book she really wanted, which was the spell to see through clothes. (laughs) <laughs> and she uses it on Freerin. It's like, oh, the spell is not that interesting. And you just see Freerin like, oh, sorry, my body's not a lot to look at. And I'm cracking up. And then she looks at Stark and goes, so small. While she's while it's panning over his midsection. <laughs> and and you just like, it's not small. <laughs> I was not expecting that at all from this show. And I was telling you that, like, I really thought they needed a character with some comedic relief. And it might just be Fern. Like, dead humor, kind of like you get from, like, Nico Robin. Like, it's not supposed to be funny, but it's fucking hilarious. I think, I think that, so, uh, with the humor, I think that Fern and Stark together and Fern and Freeran together are really comedic. So that's, that's my thoughts on it. So after that, we we travel to a new a new uh, new city in this crazy world. We get the nice, beautiful overview of the city with the classic 28 years since the death of him will the hero, all that stuff. And they're at the city of Wall, W-A-A-L, Wall. And they find out that they can't pass through the checkpoint to the northern territory or the northern country. What are they called again? I think it's northern country, northern side or northern land. Yeah, Yeah, something like that. And they find out they can't go through because the monsters are very active. There's like a little war going on up there. So the gates are closed. And Freerun is like, oh, no big deal. We'll just wait it out. And Fern overhears somebody say that it's going to be like (laughs) two years. So Fern finds Stark at El- it was it was a pub and it was a pub he went to as a child and he was eating this like berry Sunday kind of thing and it goes to a little flashback of him and Eisen being there and this thing is like the size of his head and then <laughs> in the current days it looks like like a little like Sunday and he's like I thought this was bigger and the bartender was like well you've grown a lot my boy it, it used to be a lot bigger to you. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, it makes sense. You know, I used to thought I used to think that, you know, my masters, you know, my master was big, very big, too. And as I grew up, you know, he started looking smaller. So it was it was actually a fun, 
a throwback, honestly. Yeah, it was a nice scene. And so Fern shows up and she's like, you want to sit here for two years? And he's like, fuck that. Hell no, I don't want to sit here for two years. And she's like, oh, thank goodness you're normal. And I think that's (laughs) hilarious because like you're comparing a human life to an elf. It's not even fair. Yeah, thank goodness you're normal because Fern was pretty happy to stay for two years. She was like, I get to do all kinds of magical research while I'm here. So it was fun. Definitely. So she's glad that she found someone who can help convince Freerun to move on. And they start looking through for a way through the checkpoint. And they go to the Merchants Guild and they find out that they're not even allowed. The merchants aren't even allowed to go up there right now. Like, it's just totally off limits. So they can't, like, guard a merchant troop up through the Northern Lands. Um, they go to the Black Market and the Thieves Guild. And there's just no possible way. So that's that's a downer for our human friends here. It really is. But, you know, um, you know, Fern asks uh, Stark, she's like, why, why are you more, like, why, why you're more desperate? Why is he more desperate to find a way through than she is? Because, you know, we all know that she hates staying in places for long times. And he says that he doesn't have enough time. He doesn't have a lot of time. And that got me worried kind of minute for a minute. Uh, I was like, is this man going to like die soon or something? Like, has he got some kind of disease or something? No, I just think Ison is getting up there in the years dwarf wise. You know, I mean, he's got to be like in his hundreds at this point. So, yeah. And with what Dan's saying, you know, one of Stark's goals is to just to be able to bring back you know, go do some stuff that he can bring back and tell Eisen before he dies to make him, I guess, proud of him somewhat. And that's basically what he just wants to do. So, but then, then, uh, they leave that, uh, little wall thing that they was on and they actually run into Freeran. Um, they just walking by and they see Freeran kind of hiding herself with a book. And she says that she's being chased by the guards and you know kind of threw me off guard we was like what'd she do and apparently she didn't do nothing but turns out the governor of the city actually wanted to apologize for them for the the people at the gate the guards at the gate for being rude to her says that she you know basically they figured out who she was and it was like we can't let that happen you know we're sorry and as an apology they was like, you know, we'll we'll allow you to go through the gates anytime you want to. You can leave anytime you want to. And uh it was I think Stark and Fern was really happy about it. And they was like, you know, why didn't why didn't we tell them sooner? You know, if we knew we was gonna get this treatment and Freeman was just so sad about it. She instantly just got mopey. I know. She wanted to sit there and chill and do magic research, dude. I thought that was funny. <laughs> But yeah, basically, uh, that's kind of the end of the episode. We see them like leaving the city. A uh, big crowd shows up uh, to see them off, and Fruin was like, "You know, this is why I really didn't want to tell people because I'm not a big fan of this." So, hey, Fruin, you're a badass. Yeah, use it to your advantage. Come on, you got perks. Um, 
but uh you know to finish this segment off uh you know i want to talk about like the governor acted like the north was still in a major battle with like the demon king army uh you know i wonder why if uh like the heroes party defeated the demon king like do do we think that they'll have to like help defeat them again in this trip yeah i'd be i'm kind of curious why like i feel like with her status she would know if like the demon king was resurrected or if there was like a second coming of like a new demon king or something like that but it definitely makes sense why they weren't letting like normal adventurers go north you know yeah and with that being said do you think they will get like a fourth member sometime to like match the original hero party yeah, I definitely think they will. It just makes sense for the storytelling, you know? Yeah. Even though they're kind of, like, different. You know, you got two mages, a frontliner, like, Aizen. Like, what? I guess, would would Freerun be considered the hero in that party? I don't think so. I still, still think she's the mage. I think they're kind of just retelling it through, like, the younger generation of, like, certain people's, like, I don't want to say apprentices because like Fern isn't Hyder's apprentice, but she was like a daughter to him. So I'd be interested yeah. to see if they somehow find another person who is directly related to Himmel, the mm-hmm. hero himself. You know, I think that'd be a really cool way to tie it all together. But I don't know. It looks like Himmel just fucking chilled in that city for his entire rest of his life, you know? I mean, he was definitely a player though. So <laughs> yeah. And I mean, with how it's gone so far, it makes sense that they find like, somebody who is related to Himmel in some way, you know? Yeah. Alright. Well, I guess that's it for uh, Freerun. It was a really fun episode. You want to get on to Veroni Kenshin? Let's do it, baby. We got an exciting episode. So, the name of the episode, Veroni Kenshin 15, That Man, Raijuta. So, Kaoru, Kenshin, and Yahiko visit the Maikawa Dojo for a training session. The dojo is very lively, and Kaoru's training is well received by the male students of other sword styles. Then a swordsman named Isurugi Rajuta breaks in. He says he's concerned about the futures of sword art. And the man carrying only an actual sword dismisses the idea of a bamboo sword match. In order to defeat the challenger, Maikawa, the master of Maikawa Dojo, takes on Rajuto. And we'll get into that in a little bit. <laughs> so the episode starts off. So I just laugh because the end of this episode is really funny. So it shows Kaoru getting ready to take this little field trip. And she's like putting her bandages on like her chest and everything else. And she's like, oh, they're a little loose today. And poor Yahiko walks in on this and <laughs> sees Kaoru getting dressed, basically. And he proceeds to get kicked out of the dojo, full on flying out of the thing. Hilarious. Don't ever walk in on a lady getting ready if, if you're not in that position to do so, guys. Let me tell you. You're supposed to knock before you enter. You gotta <laughs> knock. And but yeah. so they're talking to Kenshin. And they're like, oh, do you want to come? Like, you know, the, the sensei over here really wants to meet you. And he's like, no, I got a lot of stuff to do. And Kairu just starts piling on the chores. She's like, you can go shopping, you can do this, you can do that. And he's like, uh, I guess I'll go. Can't blame him. No, I, blame definitely, him I definitely wouldn't go. want to go do all that shit either. So GG's Kenshin. 
I can't blame them. So from there, we go to this entirely separate part of the story with the interaction with a young boy talking to his sensei about st strong swordsman dojos in the area. He mentions the Maikawa Dojo, and he also mentions a strange Rurouni who is at the Kamiya Kashin Dojo. From there, we go to the Maikawa Dojo. Kenshin is introduced to the sensei. The st students mention that sensei Maikawa really wants to fight Kenshin. He wants to get after it. And we get like a little staring match of Kenshin and Maikawa like giving each other the stank eye kind of thing. And <laughs> Maikawa just backs off. You know, he says looking into Kenshin's eyes, he realizes that he can't beat him. And he actually asks Kenshin to teach the class. <laughs> and that kind of caught me off guard. It's like, bro, you got Kaori here to do this and you're going to ask Kenshin to step in? Like, that's pretty fucked up. I mean, you know, when you get something like that just handed to you, then you should probably take advantage of it. You know, it's kind of like, you know, uh, Kenshin's a really big deal compared to Kaoru, so. Yeah, I mean, Kenshin's a badass, and Kaoru's just like a dojo with one student, you know? I mean, the only reason all the kids, all, all the students come is because it's like, hey, that's a babe. And, you know, that's that's one thing that I don't quite get. So if if they wanted to see Kaoru, then why don't they just join the Kamiya Kashin? Dojo instead. You can't leave your dojo, dude. That, that ain't right. Well, the only reason why they joined, uh, from based off what uh, headmaster, whatever I don't even know, is Makawa. Makawa's uh, the only reason why they joined his dojo is because she was coming over there. So why not just skip to middleman and get her, you know, twenty four seven. Yeah, I don't know if it's that they joined because Kauri was teaching. I think he said that it's just a it's it's a higher attendance percentage when Kauri oh, comes. They stuck around. He was saying that you know, like, oh, we usually have a third of this, but when Kauri comes, everybody shows up. Oh, okay, okay, I get you. That makes more sense, though. Yeah. So while Kauri was giving this swords lesson, Kenshin and Mike Kawa are kind of sitting there discussing the decline in swordsmanship. And what will become of swordsmanship in the future? You know, they're going into this, and this kind of leads us into this whole point of this plot we're getting into. Uh, Raijuta shows up. He enters the dojo, and the students try to stop him. This man is a big fucking dude. <laughs> and he just plows through all the students and approaches Kenshin and Maikawa, the sensei. Raijuta states that he's just concerned about the future of swordsmanship and challenges Maikawa that he accepts and states that the battle will be a best of three with bamboo swords. Rajuta, being the big, strong, badass he is, is like, I don't fuck with bamboo swords, but I'll do it. And you see Yutaro, who is a little boy from the scene earlier, who is his, you see his student laughing. He calls the bamboo swords a toy. And we see Yahiko come in and just confront him. And they're head button heads all this whole episode. I really enjoyed this. I really wanted to see Yahiko and him go at it. I think it's coming, dude. I really do. I don't remember, but I think it's coming. I hope so, man. Because that's I would rather see Yahiko and Yudoro go at it than I would see Kenshin go at it with him. So maybe we'll see it soon. I don't remember. So Maikawa and Rajuta duel. Rajuta absolutely just dominates him in the first match, and he like strikes him in the shoulder, breaking his shoulder blade. 
and then smacks him in the head. And then he proceeds just to finish him off a 2-0 victory. And Maikawa is knocked out, and he's holding him by his clothes, ready to go in for the kill with a broken bamboo sword because his attacks are so powerful, it broke the sword. Uh, of course, Kenshin, being the good guy he is, steps in, stops the attack, and basically says, you know, they get into a little more of Rajuta's ideals. And Rajuta says that bamboo swords are one of the reasons for the decline in swordsmanship. Anyone who uses a bamboo sword has no right to wield a real one. Which I, I get what he's saying. You know, they probably, you know, bamboo swords coming in style or whatever, I guess, is the reason for a decline in swordsmanship. But the real reason in decline of swordsmanship is the, the ban, right? Yeah, it's the ban. Oh. It's the change in the era, you know, going into the Meiji era and like swords aren't used every day anymore like they were by samurai back in the day so that's the real cause but he's just pissed off that people are still learning swordsmanship with bamboo swords um so rajuta challenges kenshin and he basically just refused to fight his he's like my sword will not be used for a, a, a competition to show who's stronger like this sword is for protecting people and Rajuta just says well we'll use wooden swords so they go at it and, you know, Kenshin just stays on the defensive the entire time. I think they had a time limit on the fight. And Kenshin just doesn't go on the offensive at all. And they draw. And before that, sorry, Reju just says that we'll burn down the dojo sign, which is basically an ultimate sign of disrespect. And they'll do it in the street. Yutaro is all about this. She's like, yeah, fuck him. Let's burn it down on the road. Let everybody see how much of a bunch of pussies these guys are. <laughs> so Kenshin accepts this duel they go at it they draw and they just leave at that point right Juju and Yutaro leave and while well, they well the reason reason why they left and the reason why they decided to make a draw was that uh you know Kenshin dodged his secret attack that no one had ever dodged before and you know he he decided he was worthy of his time outside of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, he dodged Azuna and realized that Kenshin is probably also an ancient sword art user. Yeah, and so at that point, he just like turned around and was like, I'll be seeing more of you, you know? Yeah, let's get it. <laughs> so Kenshin also realizes that Rajuta probably doesn't use like a new school sword technique. And it gets them both thinking. So Kaoru, Yahiko, and Kenshin return to the dojo, the Kamiya dojo. They're back home now. They're chilling. And they're discussing the recent events with Sonosuke. And Sonosuke is kind of on the side of like, yeah, if you got your ass kicked, you got to hang them up, chief. Like, you don't deserve to teach swordsmanship if you got, your, if you got beat down like that, you know? I mean, he's got a point. I mean, that's the way it works, you know? Um, back, you know, for dojos. Like you just got you got to be able to protect your shit, you know. At the same time, though, an old ass man got beat up by somebody in their like <laughs> late twenties. Probably it wasn't a fair fight at all. Yeah, true. And hey, I I don't think he should have accepted it. I think they I don't know what the penalties are for turning it down, other than looking like a bitch or something. I don't know. Well, you got to defend your honor, dude. You can't turn that down. Yeah. Well, now he's probably not able to fight because he literally has a broke collarbone now. So, yeah. So while they're discussing this, a mysterious carriage pulls up in front of the dojo. 
and Kenshin is invited by Raijuta to a mansion. So everybody joins, and the mansion actually belongs to Yushiro's father. And his father is somebody who is a, basically, he's an exporter of swords that gets shipped out all around the world because Japanese swords are so beautiful, they're considered art in Europe. And the reason that Raijuta is there is because he saved Yushiro's father from getting attacked by bandits. And Yushiro has grown really fond of the amount of strength he has, which is why he's basically his apprentice at this point. So Rajuta meets with Kenshin to discuss his plan to restore swordsmanship to his former glory. He plans on personally eradicating over 500 swordsmanship styles that use bamboo swords because bamboo swords are for bitches and replace them with his own sword style. Kenshin getting into the, you know, more of the ph philosophical side of things says that all ancient sword styles are murderous, used for real battle. So he doesn't want any part of this. You know, he wants to protect life-giving swords and basically protect the Kamiya Kashin Dojo. And after that, Raijuta basically says, oh, you're my enemy and draws his blade. And that was the end of the episode. So I think we're going to get a really good fight next episode. You think so? You think... You think Kenshin's actually going to feed into it? He's going to have to, dude, at this point. He knows what's coming, you know? Like, I think he's going to get down and dirty with the, with the Sakabato toe or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see. I don't think... I think something else is going to happen in order for Kenshin to get involved. But we do have, you know, Kairu, uh and all of them over there hiding in the bushes, uh, listening in. So maybe they get dragged into it somehow. I don't know. Yeah, I love how Kaoru, uh, Sanosuke, and Yahiko were like eavesdropping on this conversation. And they're like, should we feel bad about what we did? And it just pans over to Yutaro tied to a tree with a <laughs> fucking gag in his mouth. I can't yell. He deserves it, man. He deserves it. He was such scum. I'm not going to say Rajuta scum. He's just very steadfast in his ways. You know, he, he like isn't like a bad guy. Well, the thing is, you know, when he says he wants to. Uh, eradicate 500 um, sword styles or whatever. He doesn't mean just get rid of the sword styles. He, he means killing the people that, that teach it. Well, no, he wants to defeat them and dismantle their dojos. I don't think he wants to kill them. He didn't kill no. the old guy. Well, he he was going to. That that's what he said. He said oh, that's that true. He said he was going to because they don't deserve to live. That's because, true. That's because true. a fight is a it's not three rounds, it's one round. You live sure. or die. That's true, yeah. So he he is kind of a bad guy, but I I, I like his <laughs> resolve. He's not as bad as the other guys that we've seen yet. So but I guess it could change. So you know what vibes I'm getting, dude? What? Karate kid vibes. Really? It's been like the uh Will the Smith kid one. No, fuck that. I'm talking the OG Karate Kid, dude. Like Karate Kid 3, where the dude wants to like expand Cobra Kai and like make Cobra Kai number one and like make a bunch of dojos and take out all the small ones and buy them and shit. That's the vibe I'm getting. Okay. We'll you, see. Gotta go, you gotta go rewatch Karate Kid, dude. That's a banger. Yeah. I watched that like when I was young, young, and I'm not gonna lie, I don't remember much of it. I watched the newer one too with um, whatever the hell his name is, the Smith kid, Will Smith's son or whatever. Have you watched Cobra Kai on Netflix yet? No, 
sure. Oh, it's, it's banging, dude. I haven't watched. You know, I don't watch much besides anime and streams. So I feel that <laughs> you gotta watch Cobra Kai though. It's really good. Yeah, maybe someday. Someday. Well, awesome. Let's get back on topic then. You want to get us into JJK? Yeah, let's do it. Jujutsu Kaisen episode 12 called Dull Knife. And basically Itadori and Megumi lower the veil, keeping sorcerers out. Uh, they, well, they, they get rid of it, right? They get rid of the veil, keeping sorcerers out. I don't know why I said lower. Uh, now they just got to get to Gojo and save the day, but it's not going to be a walk in the park, obviously. Um, basically, we start this episode off with Nanami finding Ajichi, and that is the assistant supervisor that we've seen uh, got ran up on and stabbed. Uh, he sees his dead body, um, and he was kind of having like a little monologue moment as well. Not sure what all he said, but uh, it's very serious stuff, and I actually love it when Nanami gets serious. But then we take a look at Mei Mei just toying with her food down in the uh, the train tracks. And, you know, honestly, this scene was really fun. Uh, they had the classical music going in the background. It was a vibe. Uh, she got the curse user disabled and basically begging for his life. And, you know, she was asking him all kinds of questions like, what does a life mean to you? And all this stuff and kind of got like kind of deep um, for a second and then she's like, uh, it doesn't matter. And she just kills him anyways. <laughs> yeah, dude, she's a savage. Yeah. Um, then her, we little, kinda... her little friend is a fucking weirdo. Is that her brother? Yeah, it's her brother. Uh, we, we fucking weirdo, dude. Yeah, he is. He, well, I think he's got a sister complex, honestly. Oh, 100% big time, dude. 100%. <laughs> he was like, you don't talk with my sister. Or my Nissan, Nissan is talking. So, wait, this is what he tells the dude just begging for his life with no arms or legs or whatever. So, it's fun. Um, But then we get back to Itadori and Megumi. Like, it's going pretty fast-paced when we start this episode off. And, um, you know, like I said, they destroyed the nails. Uh, and actually break the veil that's keeping the sorcerers out. So there's only two left now. There's the veil trapping Gojo, which I guess it doesn't matter anymore because he's sealed, obviously, and the veil trapping the normies. And uh, basically, that's it. And it was like, you know, they're good to go. They can, you know, get down there now. And they're saying, Megumi's like, you know, we should go, you know, join Eno up top. And right about that time, Megumi's just like, wait, what? And just starts running. And apparently, Eno is just like free falling, skydiving off the building. And yeah, what do you think about that scene? Did you was you kind of curious of what was going on at that time? I mean, we knew Eno was down for the count. I mean, I said last episode, like we haven't seen it yet, but he got thrown off the building, so he done so. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, they kind of, they, they, they're able to like catch him, you know, save him from, you know, actually dying, dying because going off the top of the building like that, it ain't going to be like old man. It's, he's actually gonna, you know, probably die. So, uh, but basically Toji, so we go back up to the roof, um, after they like catch him, stop him from hitting the ground and, 
Toji is kind of like just uh, glitching, stroking out, kind of. It looks like just a little bit. He's just having like a little moment. And uh, uh, that's when we get into the granny. She's like, go down and kill all the sorcerers or kill all the people. Yeah, kill all the sorcerers, I think is what she said. And apparently Toji's soul or something took over the body, took his took over the body or something yeah so he was basically saying that my body is so powerful it can overbear the soul of the original person who his body was transfigured to so toji's back baby and that's scary that's scary for the crew over at jjk academy (laughs) yeah um i mean this is even worse news now than we had before because now we're dealing with the real Toji, with the real Toji mindset, I guess you can say. Not I'm just hyped. some rando. I'm fucking hyped, dude. Yeah. And um, basically to start his little uh, rampage off or whatever the hell he's going to go on, uh, he just kills the granny because, you know, she told him to kill all the sorcerers and she's a sorcerer too. So he's just like, you know, you count too. I'm going to kill you. So, Peace. <laughs> so she gone. Um, so now we we got, you know, the real Toji walking around and yeah, that's fun. Um, that's scary you know for, that's scary <laughs> for the sorcerers, man, but I'm all about it. I like Toji as a character a lot. He's just a fucking badass. It just makes me wonder like, what are his capabilities now in that body? Cause we know it's not his body. Well, it kind of is, but it's not so. Yeah, well, no, his body was transferred into Toji, Toji's body. So I'm curious to see if it's like full power Toji and if it's yeah. going to last or since she's dead now, is he going to kind of like fade off eventually, you know, because there's no medium like transferring his body and spirit to this other body anymore, you know? I mean, I just don't know who can, who can like combat him, you know? I don't know, man. I, out of the people that's there, I just don't know. Um, oh, and if like Toji and Ghetto or whatever Ghetto is now team up, that's a wrap, dude. Yeah. Um. But then we, uh, you know, we basically we're skipping around a little bit here, and we skipped a Maki, and she's basically telling Nobara to go with Akari, which is the another assistant supervisor. I'm pretty sure to check check on Ijiji. Which and we know he's dead, but um, Maki says that she'll stay behind and take care of all the monsters that they're dealing with at the time. And so, uh, yeah, and I think it goes back to Itadori at that time. And they, they're they just like coming up with a plan now that Eno, they see that Eno is uh, incapacitated, I guess you can say. Dead. <laughs> I don't think he's dead. Surely I don't not. Think he's dead, but. Um, but he's definitely out of the action, and uh, I think actually Megumi says that he's not dead too. I think he confirms that, but I'm not 100%. But you know, they decide not to go to the roof, smart choice, honestly. They don't know what's up there, but smart choice. Um, says that Gojo is a priority since you know the veil is lifted now, and basically, they're gonna split up. Megumi's gonna take Eno away i guess to get him checked out or whatever get him started healing and either door he's going to head down into the station to see what's going on i guess um probably meet back probably meet up with nanami at some point i assume so 
Yeah, and I'm kind of sad. I think we're going to see in the future, but I would love to see Koji meet Megumi because that's his son. And I think that'll be a crazy interaction. Yeah. I kind of thought that... I I actually thought that that was going to happen. Um, but, you know, obviously not unless Toji stops Megumi on his way out, which is a possibility, so... Yeah, I haven't read this manga, so it's definitely a possibility. I mean, I think the interaction between those two would be great because it'd be such a weird situation because Toji would be thankful that Gojo did save Megumi from being sold off to a clan and like brought him under his wing, you know? So I think it'd be really interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, and it'd be really interesting to see how Megumi feels about Toji, so... Definitely. You know, I mean, that was his father who just basically abandoned him, but it wasn't it wasn't his choice, you know, so it'd be interesting to see how the interaction goes. Um, but basically now we go back to Nobra. Um, she runs into Haruda, which is the blonde guy with the side ponytail. Um, and she basically tells Akari to go hide and then, you know, try to get away while she's fighting him. That way she can go check on Ijichi and stuff like that. And um, it's weird, but um, Haruda has a sword. You know, I call it the hand sword. Is you know, it's got a hand on it. And, He's holding hands, dude. Yeah, and uh, it basically just starts chasing Akari as she's running away. And I guess it's got a mind of its own. Uh, that's weird, but anyways, it slices her Achilles. It's JJK, dude. You can't be surprised about a sword having a demon soul hand thing attached to it, you know? It's definitely uh, spooky season. <laughs> if only if only this episode would have been released on Friday the 13th, too, that would have been, that would have been amazing. But it's Thursday, oh, right? <laughs> but, I think uh, I watched it on Friday. Good enough. Huh? I think I watched it on Friday. Good enough. Oh, true, true. Uh, but yeah, the the hand sword, whatever we're calling it, it slices her Achilles, Akari's Achilles, basically, and uh, and made her like, you know, her ability to run away is gone now. So, uh, then she runs, you know, her uh, Haruda and Nobra, Nobra is like just kind of sparring at the time, but you can tell that she's way out of her league, I guess. And he's just playing with her kind of. And as soon as, uh, uh, Kari goes down, he basically just takes off running after her. And it was, it was definitely, uh, something I didn't expect, but he just runs over and acts like she's a soccer ball, honestly. <laughs> and just like went to town on her. Dude, kicked he, her right in the gut. He kicked the shit out of her, dude. Yeah, like he he was going hard. He he was like messy or some shit over there. So, but like I said, Nobra is trying to. She's going hard, trying to kill him. It's not working. Like he's just playing with her at this point. Uh, but then he uses his hand sword. He kind of, I guess, throws it at her or something like that. And uh, it ends up like punching her really hard in her chin and kind of dazes her. It knocks her down and puts her in a daze. And then. You know, we got Akari over here just trying to crawl away, just trying to get away from the situation. And he just goes over to her and just starts stabbing her and and her like hips and thighs and stuff. Just just basically torturing her is what I'll say. 
And um, like he's just he's just having fun right now. He's just torturing away. And but we see a scene, Nanami. We see him just start he- walking, walking towards them. And then you know he breaks through the glass. He don't need no door. It was a hell of an entrance, I think. Um, but basically, Haruda tries to slash and kick Nanami. And it's like a wall, bro. It literally doesn't do anything. And I thought that was kind of interesting because here he was playing with Nobara and them, and then he attacks Nanami, and it, nothing happens. It's like a fly hit him. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was it was nuts, dude. And uh, then we just get into the fight and. Uh, Nanami just keeps asking over and over, how many allies do you have? Where are they? And each time that Haruda refuses to answer, he gives him a strong right, and he just keeps on doing it. He asks him like uh, three different times, and the third, uh, the third one, you know, he decided to quit, I guess, asking him because he wasn't getting up and out of him. And... Uh, I guess it killed him. It killed Haruda on the third strong ride. So, yeah, dude, Nanami is a scary motherfucker, and that is it. Like when he is serious, he is scary. Yeah, I mean, three hits, bro, to kill someone that was playing around with Nobra. That's wild. Yeah, you gotta remember, she's kind of like the soccer of the group between those two. She's not nearly as strong. <laughs> and, like, it's crazy to think that he took down Haruda so easily because Eno, like, last episode of the episode before, like, compared Itadori's strength to, to, to Nami. So, to, to Nanami. So, like, we know that Itadori's pretty fucking strong at this point. I can see that because, you know, his black flashes are strong. So, um, well, he was saying even without cursed energy, just his physical aptitude was at that same level. That's wild, then. Um, but yeah, uh, then we go back down to uh, May May since that situation is taken care of, and she just kept on walking after she tortured a uh, old curse user, and she runs into Ghetto, and uh, she's like thinking to herself, you know, was Ghetto and Gojo working together? Is that is this what happens? And then she's like, you know, that doesn't really make sense because Gojo can do whatever he wants, really. He doesn't need any partners. He doesn't need to rely on, you know, tricks, you know, stuff like that, tactics like this. And then she's like, she determines that Ghetto is like a fake version of Ghetto, which is, it's, it's pretty... She's pretty smart. She's got to be pretty smart to be able to determine all that in a matter of seconds. So, yeah, I mean, she knew Ghetto as a child, well, not a child, but as like a young sorcerer. So, like, she's had a lot of experience with them. And I think it was like that this Ghetto didn't remember them or something like that. I think that's what yeah. it was. Eh, pro- probably something like that. Um, but she, her, they start talking kind of, and she decides that she's going to try to kill him. Um, which is probably the best move, but you know, we know that's not going to happen right now because Ghetto summons a special grade disease curse called Smallpox Deity and tells her that if she beats it, then he'll fight her once he gets to 
when she gets to him. So smallpox is some scary shit, dude. Really is. <laughs> and I was like, damn, dude, they're bringing out the big guns. <laughs> and uh, what's crazy is as soon as it uh, came to be, it uses it used domain expansion right away and uh, basically trapped her in a coffin and slammed a rock down her on her to try to seal her away. But I guess Mei Mei is just too strong for that. She breaks free easily. Um, and I think that's about all we see of that situation. It'll be fun to watch next episode. I sh- I'm sure we'll see it, uh, what comes of it. Definitely. I'm really excited for the next episode. Yeah, and then, um, you know, Nobura's just wanting to go down uh, with Nanami to, I guess, fight um, all these, you know, go down, try to save Gojo, I guess. And Nanami's just like, nah, you can't come down with me because, you know, you have to be at minimum on my level to go any further, and you're not on my level, basically. Yeah, I mean... No offense to Nobara, but she she ain't that gal. She does not have those. I mean, she swings nails at people. Come on, like yeah, she does not got that. She doesn't have the firepower to hang with some of the some of the curses that are down there. And the episode ends with Itadori running into Chozo, so that'll be exciting because Chozo is one of the curse users with Ghetto who wants to defeat Itadori to def- uh, avenge his brother. So I think we're gonna get a lot of fighting next episode. So that'll be exciting. Definitely. Um, I guess that's about it for this. This was just like a all over the place episode. Not really much action besides the Nami just uh doing Be whatever he wanted with Haruda. Be an ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm really excited to see how Toji plays into this because I'd be interested to see if he kind of like since he did defeat or kill the cursed user who brought him back into this world, is he going to like fade away or something down the line? Like, I'm curious to see what happens. There has to be some kind of, um, uh, nerf or, um, ass pool plan to get him out of here because especially with Gojo gone and ghetto, like fake ghetto running around, there has to be bro. Yeah. And for all we know, Utah is still over in Africa. So like, that's the ace in the hole they have left. So it'd be interesting to see when he comes back into the fold. Unless Nanami is going to be the one to go try to take him on. But I don't think Nanami can handle that, honestly. No, I think it'll definitely be some of Megumi, honestly. Oh, you think so? Yeah, Guess we'll see. Storytelling wise, that makes so much sense, you know? Yeah. But awesome. You're going to get into One Piece? Yes, sir. Let's do this shit. So to end, we have One Piece episode 1079. The morning comes, Luffy and the others rest. So finally, things are finally, 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 after what feels like 13,000 years of Wano (laughs) are coming to an end. The parties are starting to pick up, but there could be some trouble on the horizon. So the episode starts with the five elders in shock that two Yonko fell at the hands of Luffy and the Samurai Mink Ninja Pirate Pirate Alliance. <laughs> I'm trying to remember <laughs> all the groups in this thing, dude. <laughs> that that um who who doesn't know about that? Uh is it Kid? Kid, Kid had no <laughs> idea. Kid was just there for fun. <laughs> he was just there to be there. 
And they're also really surprised that Luffy has awoken the Nika fruit. Um, they say that while the five elders are talking to CP0, they say that it appears that Zoe has left the area and disappeared, which means that the borders of Wano are not going to open just yet. The five elders tell CP0 that they need to bring back Nico Robin, and that is their main goal now. So after yep. that, we go to a scene with Drake and Hawkins, which is pretty, pretty surprising because I kind of forgot this happened in the manga. And Drake flat out refuses to tell Hawkins if he's a Navy soldier or not. And Hawkins is pretty fucking beat up. He's got an arm missing. He's just coughing up blood left and right. He's and, got blood, and he's got blood pouring out of his like extremities. <laughs> yeah, no, he down bad. <laughs> and they kind of go back to a scene forever ago, where Hawkins was talking about a one percent survival card that he drew, and that it actually wasn't meant for Drake; it was meant for himself. So we flash forward to seven days after the battle. Zoro and Luffy still haven't woke up. They're still just still sleeping away. They're pretty beat up. Uh, the Dr. Goat Man basically says there's a possibility they'll never wake up. But <laughs> we, we know better. It's, it's Zoro and Luffy. They always get back up. They're always kicking. Oh, yeah. I, was, I don't even know why they uh, said something like that. Because we know. We know. Oh, definitely. Dude, you can't end it right there. No. Oda, Oda still, he's still kicking. He's still going over there. So, <laughs> so after that, we go to the town, uh, the capital again, and the people are like, don't take down the, don't take down all the um, decorations, decorations and stuff like that from the fire festival. Shogun Momonosuke says the parties are going to continue. Uh, now that they've defeated Orochi, they're able to get actual food from Paradise Farm. So everybody's eating good. Luffy did his job. Everybody is eating good in the hood, baby. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's also like new teachers in town. And, you know, we get into them like teaching them about Odin. And instead of, you know, uh, the, past, the past stuff that they've been teaching them about, all the bullshit. And, uh, you know, apparently Odin was fr throwing around his nanny when he was a small baby, like fresh out the womb, apparently. Yeah, I don't know, dude. The, whatever the hell Orochi's pawns were telling these kids was just so wrong. Dude, do you think that like that's like just like uh, buffed up storytelling or? I told it, him, dude, you, you can do whatever you want. Really? Yeah, I told him. He can do whatever he wants, man. <laughs> <laughs> but like so this new teacher is going through the real history of wano and the kids just don't believe it they're like what are you talking about bro and he's like forget everything you've ever learned this is the truth so it's good to see that they're already starting the re-education of the youth of wano to get rid of this bullshit orochi brainwashing and tell them the truth so i really like that i did too and you know one of the funnier uh things of this episode was actually the kids the kids look like I don't, they looked funny. <laughs> they look piece, like dude. Momo. It is one piece, man. Everybody looks funny. I mean, that's like classic Japanese hairstyles and stuff you're seeing. That's the crazy part. No, no, I'm not even talking about that. Like their facial expressions, they had like buck teeth. 
They had like a snot dripping out their nose. They looked very, they they, they looked like they was trying to uh, depict Wano children as, I don't know, derpy. I think Oda's always done that with kids, though. You think? Really? Yeah, like you think about Kid Luffy, he always looked goofy as all shit. You know, he didn't have buck teeth, but he always had like, if he was crying, he had snot hanging from his nose and this and that and whatever, you know? Yeah, it was, I definitely laughed at it. I chuckled at it because the teacher was just like going to town on him and they're just like, really? I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Chill. <laughs> but after that, we get a scene with Kinemon and I lose Kawamatsu are at a temple. The Kappa. Yeah, Kawamatsu, the Kappa are at a temple and they're talking how they're going to build a temple dedicated to Odin overlooking the capital. And they're also going to make temples for the Daimo, including Yasui and the other, you know, members of the Red Scabbard. So Ashura and Izo. So that's good to see. They're going to give these guys their final respects in a proper way. Yeah, and then we get into the, um, you know, thing that I said we knew wasn't true before. Um, Kamurasaki is basically, she goes and she's so excited and she drop kicks Momo while yelling that Luffy and Zoro are awake now. So we knew it was going to happen. I was hoping it happened this episode. They're finally awake. And y'all know what that means. Time for a party, baby. <laughs> time for meat and time for booze. That's the two main attractions for those boys. I just love how they woke up and the first thing they did is scream meat and sake. I was like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, boys. <laughs> hey they went hard man they deserve it so definitely so while they're waking up and like talking to the crew um sorry uh blah, 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 blah. komurasaki and momo show up and zoro and like luffy are just so surprised that momo is a full grown-ass man now how big he is i mean like momo is like twice as tall as freaking luffy dude he's like eight ten nine ten feet tall He's Odin size now. He's huge. And, and there's a scene where Momo is still acting childish and tries to jump into Nami's <laughs> chest like he did as a kid, which was fine. No, that was funny. But now it's just creepy. So Nami just beats the shit out of him. And you see like Brooke and Sanji just with shit eating grins in their face. Like, ha, sucks to be you, bro. Sucks to be an adult now. Uh Welcome to the world of adults. <laughs> and then we get a scene that I was not prepared to see animated at all. And they decide to take baths. And obviously, Wano doesn't have shared baths. So the boys are going one way and the girls are going another. And we have a very interesting, or, um, interesting conversation with Kiku and Yamato, who are both transgender. So Yamato goes to the boys and Kiko goes to the girls. And that's, you know, that's perfectly fine until Yamato jumps in the <laughs> bath and Sanji and Brooke see her and they're just sitting there and see him, sorry. And they're just in sheer disbelief looking at those cannons she's got. And Sanji <laughs> launches out of this bath like a rocket ship with a bloody nose. This is like Shirahoshi all over again, bro. Dude, he was flying. <laughs> I'm worried for our man. He's gonna be put in the damn medical tent for a whole arc again now. 
Oh, God. Poor Sanji. Well, not poor Sanji. He deserves it. But what a fucking weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, we get a scene with the Red Hair Pirates and the Heart Pirates with Law's crew. And they're talking about, you know, it'd be interesting to see who's going to, like, we're in contention for Yonko at this point. Um, it'd be interesting to see what happens. And none other than, I'm spacing on his name right now. Who's a really annoying guy? The music guy. Yeah, uh, definitely, definitely fun to see uh, the... It's sad that we didn't get to actually see the bounties, though. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. What's uh, what's uh, Apu? Apu. Yeah, Apu Poo Poo. Apu shows up with the newspaper and has all the bounties in it, and he throws it down. But we don't actually get to see what they are, so we'll see that next episode. So I'm very excited for next episode. I want to see this certain scene. I'm not going to spoil wanna... anything, but I want to see it so fucking bad. I want to. I wanted to see it. In this episode, honestly, it sucks. We'll we gotta it. wait for the next one. And to end the episode, we have a scene with Aikinu calling another Marine Admiral Ryokuyu. Is that how you pronounce that? I think Ryoku. it's Ryokuji. Ryokuji. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. And it's him flying with a little daisy on his back. He looks like shit out of like Mario Kart, <laughs> flying towards Wano. And Aikino's like, don't do anything stupid. And that's pretty much the whole episode. I mean, it was very light. Like, we've gotten through a lot of the action. So it's nice to see One Piece kind of get back to a little bit of chill, you know? Definitely. And I'm really excited. Like like Dan said, we're really excited to see the bounties and the and the, the state of the world um, after the, you know, big events. So, yeah, we got two new Yonko on the way. I wonder who they are. Yeah, I guess we'll guess we'll see. It's I think it's gonna surprise some people that I haven't read the manga. <laughs> yeah, if they haven't been spoiled yet, it's definitely a shocker. I well, mean, yeah. I can't believe Luffy's not a Yonko, dude. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I guess I guess that's it for One Piece. It was a really nice chill uh chill episode. So Yeah, we're gonna have a big party next episode and we're gonna have some characters come back and it should be really fun. But awesome. Well, guys, we really hope you enjoyed this week's weekly rundown. We'll be back on Thursday with the DGENs episode. We have a special guest, Carrie, joining us. We're actually talking a whole lot of One Piece. So make sure to listen. Uh, if you want to do us a massive favor, make sure to rate the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. If you want to discuss the shows we're watching on the rundown or our topics on the Bullshit Hour, make sure to join the Discord. Check out our socials, linktree.com slash anime and we'll catch you guys on Thursday. Peace. Later.